Joel chapter 2, page 623, if you have one of our Bibles. So, you know, I, I don't know about you, but one of the things that I've noticed in my own life is that the older I get, the more proficient I get at hiding. Like, the older we get, the, the better we get at hiding. And so I see this, like, play out in the life of my three, my three boys. They're seven, five, and three years old. And there is a major difference in my seven-year-old's ability to hide and my three-year-old's ability to hide. So we'll play hide-and-go-seek. It's one of their favorite games. And Sydney and I, will we'll get in the living room. We'll do that thing where we count down, tell them to go hide. My two older sons are, like, really good at it. You know, in fact, sometimes they're so good, we have to do that thing, like, if you don't come out, we're going to punish you. The game is over. We've got to get in the car and go to Target, you know, like, whatever it is. Like, they're really good at hiding. They understand it. But my three-year-old, he's not so much good at hiding. And so we'll be counting, and he's, like, stomping around in the room that we're in. And he'll end up in the room right next to us, like, laying flat on the floor with a blanket over his head. Like, that's his attempt to hide. And I'm like, crap, he's not getting any scholarships, you know. This is going to be tough, you know. And he hasn't learned to hide yet. He doesn't know how to hide. Like, that hasn't, like, come all the way into him yet. But... The older we get, like we grow in our proficiency in our ability to hide, right? Like I remember uh, discovering this like really early on in my marriage. Sydney and I have been married for just a couple of years and we're getting ready to move houses. And she had been given this piano. It's her grandmother's piano, this like, this like sacred heirloom in the family, you know. And we're moving houses and I was impatient. I didn't want to wait for all of my buddies to show up and help me move. And so it was me and one other guy. We weighed like 119 pounds together, small, scrawny little guys. And we had this piano. We're like, yeah, sure, we can move that up the stairs on our own. And so we try to start moving this piano up the stairs. And sure enough, we drop it and we break the edge of it. And like any grown man, I did what you would have done. I, I hid my mistake. Uh, I put the piano in its rightful place. I got this plant, you know, and put it next to the place that had been broken. My wife is like, wow, your penchant for interior design has increased. It's amazing. And for a year, she didn't notice that the piano was broken. I'll never forget the day, though. She's, like, cleaning up, and she moves to the plant, and the wrath of God, like, like came out in her house. She's like, why would you hide this? Like, like why? And I just, I, I've discovered the older I get. I just get more and more proficient at hiding my mistakes. But it's, it's not just my mistakes. Uh, I even hide my motives, which is far more dangerous. You know, Sydney, she loves uh, getting flowers and so every now and then I'll take her flowers. And I remember this one day uh, several years ago, I bought her flowers and I'm like, I'm gonna take these home from work. And then I came up with a better idea. I said, instead of taking them home, I'm gonna show up at her work on her lunch hour because all of her coworkers will be eating together and I walk in with these flowers, and they'll all think I'm an amazing husband. I'm sure you've never done something that vile before. But have you ever, have you ever done something good with a heart that is bad to hide something you didn't want to deal with? I just remember discovering, like, it, it's not just that I hide my mistakes. It's that I'm proficient at hiding my motives. And I took this good thing that I wanted to do for my wife, and I used it to cover up this place of insecurity and brokenness in, in my own heart. And this is the story of the human journey, isn't it? I love the beginning of Genesis. There's no sin has entered the world. Adam and Eve, they don't have to hide from anyone. They're not hiding from God, not hiding from each other, not hiding from themselves. And then sin enters into the world. And what's the first thing they do? Play along with me, church. They, they hide. They hide. But they're like three-year-olds. They're not very good at it. They're behind the tree with the fig leaves. They're like, do you think you can find us? They can't see us. You know, Adam's hiding behind his poor excuses. 
Adam, uh, Eve is hiding behind the snake. And they begin this journey that is going to keep unfolding in the life of humanity. And just as the human story will progress, their ability to hide from God and from one another, and even from them, their own selves, will get stronger and stronger and stronger. Get to the book of Joel, where we're going to be at this morning. It has this unusual passage to look at. But the cliff notes of the background of this story, I think, are important because the, the people of God had gotten really proficient at hiding. They, they weren't hiding the way they were as children. They're not in the middle of the floor with a blanket on their head or fig leaves uh, decorating the edge of the, the piano. No, uh, they've learned to hide in the context of their own religious rhythms. And I know in a place like Nashville, you've never, never been prone to do this. But they got the Sunday thing down. That's what the people of Joel had done. They, they had these areas of the heart, these places of rebellion that they weren't ready to, to address. They didn't want to deal with. And so they just got better and better and better at the church thing. They got better and better at the religious rhythms. And they began to believe the lie that our external behavior can heal the saltiness of this internal spiritual wound. And so they kept striving harder and harder and harder. And they were hiding behind their religion. And God shows up to them in Joel chapter 2, and like any good father, he begins to, to woo them out of hiding, to draw them out of hiding. He says, hey, there's more. There's more for you in this. And he begins to woo them out of hiding by taking away their blessings, because there's, there's no better way to get a religious person's attention than to remove their blessings. It's kind of like whenever um, your parents haven't talked to you in a week, and they want you to call home, so they change their Netflix password to get you to call home. <laughs> And you do that thing where you call and you're trying to pretend you care about the day, but then it's like, hey, you change the You know, they take away the blessing to woo you out of hiding, to, to, to bring you to themselves. So what, what God does, he, he takes away the blessing. And they begin to come out of hiding. They come out of their religious hiding. And here's what I want you to hear. The moment they start coming out of hiding, they get overwhelmed by the hope and the grace and the love and the mercy of God. This passage we're going to read this morning, especially if you grew up in a religious context or if you're carrying around a lot of baggage and shame, there's going to be this temptation to hear it through the lens of legalism. But my prayer for you all week has been that you would hear it with the ears of hope. Because God starts drawing them out and he goes, man, there is so much more. You're in hiding. Come out. I want you to see what it is that I want to do. Joel chapter 2, I just want to read these six verses over us. We're going to spend the majority of our time just looking at the first few verses but once you get this context, it says, even now, declares the Lord. I love that. Even now, in the midst of all your hiding, even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all of your heart, with fasting and with weeping and with mourning. He says, rend your heart, tear your heart, open your heart, and not your garments. Return to the Lord, for he's gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. Who knows, he may turn and relent and give a blessing, grain offerings and drink offerings to the Lord. So blow the trumpet in Zion, declare a holy fast, call a sacred assembly, gather the people, bring together the elders, gather the children, those nursing at the breast, let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride leave her chambers. In other words, he says, young or old, rich or poor, don't care if you're nursing or if you're on your honeymoon. I don't care what your story is in life. God has something for you. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Verse 17. He says, let the priest who minister before the Lord weep between the portico and the altar. Let them say, spare your people, Lord. Don't make your inheritance an object of scorn, a byword among the nations. 
Why should they say among the people, where is their God? And then the Lord, who was jealous for his land, took pity on his people. This is the word of God out of Joel chapter 2. I just want want you to see this this moment. These people have been in hiding. They've been hiding the stuff that's been going on in their hearts, kind of in the middle of their religious context. And God comes to them, and I love the way it starts. He says, he says, even now, he says, even now, this is the way that it starts. He says, even now, he says, listen, I've seen what you've been doing. He says, there are these places of brokenness. This is God speaking to the people. He says, there are places of brokenness in your heart that you're trying to keep quarantined from everybody, including me. That addiction that you've been nursing since high school. That, that bout with pornography that's chased you down since middle school. That area of childhood trauma that you're scared someone's going to discover. That place of pride, of guilt, of deception. This is a place where you've been robbing God of your time and your talents and your energy. He says, I see what you've been doing. That's where God starts. God says, I see where, what you've been doing. He says, but even now, even now, guys, you realize that Our God is the God of the even now. That if you're still breathing, God is not done redeeming. If there's still blood pumping through your heart, the story that God has for your life is not yet finished being written. And he comes to them, these these people whose, whose hearts were wicked, but their Sunday mornings were put together. And he says, even now, even now as you play the game, I've got something in store for you. He's the God of the even now. He keeps going. Look at verse 12. It says, even now, declares the Lord, return to me. He says, return to me. In other words, God says, listen, I know it's the beginning of a new year. And I know there's stuff going on in your heart. But I'm not just interested in you reforming your religious rhythms. God doesn't come to them and say, hey, you got to get this all in order. Last year was a bad year. This year's got to be better. It's not the way that God operates. See, religion says clean your life up and then come home to God. The gospel says you are a mess without Jesus. Come home and Jesus cleans you up. Those are two entirely different proclamations. One is religion says you're a mess. Fix yourself up, then come back in the house of God. The gospel says you're a mess. Come home just as you are and let God fix you. Even now, declares the Lord, return to me. This is not an invitation to reforming our religious rhythms. It's an invitation to relational intimacy. God says, come back to me. Come back to me. He says, I'm glad that you're reading the word more this year. I'm glad that you're in church more this year. I'm glad that you're trying to get those habits in, in line this year. He says, he says, but what I want is for you to know me. One of my closest friends, he's 20 years older than me. All of his kids are grown. And I remember several years ago, his oldest son was a junior in high school and started rebelling from the Lord and rebelling against his dad and his mom. Spends two years just running from God. The day he graduates high school, he signs up for the army Uh, he chooses to get as far away from home as possible. He ends up being deployed to Southeast Asia. Goes to Asia. And I remember talking to my friend all throughout that journey, and I'm like, hey, how's your son doing? And he says, his physical location is a reflection of his spiritual condition. 
He's scared to death of us discovering what's going on in his life, and he keeps running, and he keeps running, and he keeps running. He's hiding. His son goes off to the army, and he gets dishonorably discharged because of his behavior in the army. So he has to come home to the States. He's still too scared to face his family, to face his church, the people that loves him. So he moves in with his best friend down in southern Alabama and just keeps running from the Lord. i never forget my, my friend telling me the story a few years into this. Uh, one night in the middle of the night, two or three in the morning, he gets his phone call. And it's his son's best friend, his roommate, who he's living with down in southern Alabama. And uh, on the other end of the phone, his son's roommate says, hey, listen, I don't know how to tell you this, but uh, we were drinking all day, and um, uh, we were doing things we didn't need to do. And we showed up at this party tonight, and your son, he ran his mouth to a group of guys that he didn't need to run his mouth to, and they have beaten him nearly to death. He says, I don't know what to do. He says, your son's too scared to talk to you. And uh, my friend, I'm just sitting there in Panera Bread out in Cool Springs. He's telling me the story, just weeping. He said, Dave, I remember just like jumping out of bed and just throwing on clothes and literally driving at the speed of God down to southern Alabama. And he's telling me just the feeling of like walking into that apartment, seeing his son, his oldest son laying on a couch, face swollen, bloodied, smell of alcohol still on his clothes, not in his right mind. And I said, I said what did you say to your son in, the, son in that moment? He said, I got down and I wrapped my arms around his bloodied, body, and I said, I love you, son, come home. That's all I said. And when that's the heart of God the Father towards us. He says, even now, before you've returned to him, before you've gotten it together, before you're ready to take that step, even now, he comes down, he swoops down, he wraps his arm around our body and says, come home, return to me. Return to me. Even now, says the Lord, return to me. He says, but not... Not with your religion, but with your heart. Keep going to verse 12. He says, rend now your hearts, not your garments. You know, during the days of Joel, whenever you screwed up spiritually, you would do these outward things to let people know that you're in bad shape. And literally, the people of God would tear their clothes. It was this sign of saying, hey, I messed up and I want to be made right. You know, we, we've all done this before. You screw things up with your friends or your spouse, and, and you want them to know you feel bad about it, so you kind of like mope through the kitchen, right? Like, you know... We, we do these things outwardly at times to show people what's going on inwardly. And God says, listen, here's the deal. He says, even now, I want you to return to me, but I don't want you to come to me with your dead religion. He says, I want you to come to me with your open heart. He says, rend your hearts. Open your hearts to me. Let me all the way in. You know, my, my buddy, as he tells the story of getting his son off that couch and putting him in his car, and they're driving back to Nashville at 3 o'clock in the morning, so there's this, this moment, his son is sitting there in the front seat, he's leaned up against the window, his eyes are swollen shut. He's, he's a total mess, it's a rock bottom moment for his son's life. And he says there's this moment where his son continues to try to save face, you know, he hadn't been in good standing with his dad for several years, he didn't know what to talk about, didn't know how to explain it, so he's just trying to, to have small talk with his dad and my friend said there's just this rage that was like burning up in his heart as a father. He's like, come on, I don't want this surface level stuff with you anymore. And so he pulled the car over to the side of the road. He said, just like when his son was a kid, except this time not to whip his butt. He, he pulls the car over to the side of the road and he puts his hands on his shoulder. And he says, son, just give me your heart. Just give me, quit faking it. I can see all over your face that things aren't good. Open your heart. This is the cry of the scriptures towards the people of God. 
Even now, declares the Lord, in all of your hiding, come to me, not with your religion, but with your heart that's open. Because he keeps going in verse 13, he says, because the Lord, I love this, the Lord is slow to anger, the Lord is compassionate, the Lord is abounding in love, and the Lord is quick to relent in sending calamity. In other words, Joel says, you can come out of hiding because God can be trusted. Let's be honest with ourselves. Why do we hide? We hide because history teaches us that often hiding is safer than coming out into the light. We've all had those moments where we're trying to decide, hey, can we share who we really are with somebody? And maybe it was a parent, maybe it was a coworker, a friend, or a spouse, or somebody at your church. Well, there have been moments where you have entrusted somebody with the secret places of your heart. And not only did they handle it poorly, but they, they led you into a place of deeper wounding and brokenness because of the way they handled it. But I love this. I love this. Joel says, hey, listen. Good news. God is not your earthly father. And he's not like your earthly mother. And he's, he's not like your coworkers, your friends, or your spouse. And God is not like your church. He is immeasurably better. And that God can be trusted with the places of your heart that you're scared to show to anybody else. He says, come out of hiding. He sees it anyways. And the Lord is slow to anger, filled with compassion, overflowing with love, and he desires to relent. But there is no intimacy with God until there's the courage to come into his presence uncovered. Here's the thing that God's been showing me all week is that God will never uncover that which he does not want to heal. God never uncovers in your heart the things he doesn't want to heal. He's not a cosmic bully. He's not going to drudge up the secret stuff and just leave it there on the surface exposed. No, God, like a masterful surgeon and a loving father, he only uncovers that which he wants to heal. But so often when God begins that work of uncovering, the enemy is right there on his heels trying to convince us that it's not safe to come out into the light, to bring it into the presence of our Father. And like Adam and Eve, we find ourselves standing there behind the tree with the fig leaves on, masked with all of our religion, fooling each other, fooling ourselves. But God says, I see you. I know who you really are. And even now, come home. <laughs> even now, it's safe to come out of hiding. Because I'm better than you imagine. I don't know what your story is. But uh, I, I grew up in a pastor's family. My dad's a pastor. I don't know if it's possible for a son to love his earthly father more than I love my dad. My dad's an amazing man of God. Not perfect, but an amazing man of God. My, my mom is an amazing, amazing woman of God. I don't know if it's possible for an earthly son to love his mother more than I love my mother. I'll fight any of you on that. Like... I love my parents. I grew up in a great home. Uh, but it's interesting growing up in a pastor's family because it just felt like our life was under the microscope at times. Like Everybody's watching us. And my parents, by the grace of God, they never put that on us. Uh, as far as I can remember, I don't ever remember a moment where my parents said, Dave, don't do that because you'll make our family look bad. They're so gracious to us. But even as a kid, I remember learning that very early on that there were certain things that I did not need to do for the sake of the family's reputation. And if I was going to do them, 
I had to do them with great secrecy. And I had to really figure out how to hide it. And uh, for years, for years, that was my journey. And I was convinced, like a lot of you are convinced, that if people really knew me, they couldn't love me. And so if I had to choose between being really known or really loved, I, cho I chose this artificial version of love that was based upon this image of myself that I projected. I did this with myself. I did this with God. I did this with people around me. Uh, by the grace of God and some really good friends and mentors and people around me uh, in high school, there were some people that could just see through it. And they're like, they're like, Dave, you're better than that, man. Like, we see you. And God sees you. Come out of hiding, man. Come out. God loves you. And by the grace of God, it, I would take those steps. And there's been just unbelievable healing as I've learned how to live in the light of God's presence. But you can testify to this because I know we've all experienced this on some level. Isn't it true that the hardest step is always that first step out of darkness into the light? Like that, that first step. Man, I'm going to share my story. I'm going, to, I'm going to share this place of sin. I'm going to share this addiction. Like that's always the hardest place. It's always in that moment where the enemy is trying to convince us to stay hidden. And the Lord is saying, no, come in into the light. And so years ago, you know, I, be, I began this journey where I would try to walk with God more fully into these things. I remember reading um, Psalm 139, verses 23 through 24. I remember the first time I read that and God just spoke to my heart. If you don't know those verses, this is what it says. David is praying. He says, search me, O Lord, and know me. Test my anxious thoughts. See if there's anything inside of me that is offensive to you and then lead me in the way everlasting. And I remember reading that prayer, I'm like, wow, what a bold prayer to stand in the presence of God uncovered spiritually and to say, God, here I am. Search me, know me, test me, lead me. And we're going through the season where I'm like, I don't even know if I want to pray that prayer because what if he answers it? Have you ever done that? Have you played that game with God before? <laughs> where you're like, God, we both know something's going on. I'm just going to ignore it. I'll trust that you'll work this out some. Yeah, you're sovereign. You know, I'll use some big spiritual word like that. But um, have you ever had that before? And I'm just, I'm just, I'm wrestling with those things. I start praying that um, for the last 10 or 11 years. I don't know if there's been a week that's gone by where I don't pray those words. And this, for me, practically, is just one of the ways I try to bring my heart out of hiding before the Lord. I'll take some time each week and I'll just pray those words. Lord, would you search me? Would you test me? Would you know me? Would you lead me? And I just pray that prayer and then I'll spend some time just sitting in the presence of God a journal out and just, okay, God, just speak to me. And I just start paying attention to the, the thoughts that come across my heart, the things that come across my mind, the scriptures, the statements. Uh, I, I promise you, if you come to God with a humble heart and ask him to speak to you, he will speak to you. It'll take you some time to learn how to recognize his voice, but he'll speak to you. And so I pray Psalm 139, and then I sit there and I pay attention in his presence. And so often these things will come up, uh, sometimes good things, sometimes difficult things. And then I'll just bring those things back to God in prayer. And I'll say, God, I don't know what to do with this. What would you have me step into? How would you have me walk in obedience? And every time I do that, God helps me just one step at a time out of darkness into the light. I'll tell you the way that this happened last week. So I'll just give you a, kind of a fresh moment in my own life. So last week, I'm just praying this prayer as I, I do each week. And as I'm praying that prayer, God brings up this memory of this moment from when I sinned against one of my friends when I was 11 years old, so 25 years ago. 
And immediately I do that thing where I'm like, that's not from the Lord. That's the enemy trying to condemn me. But um, here's the way you can always recognize the difference between a condemning word from the enemy and a life-giving word from the Holy Spirit. The enemy will bring up old things for the purpose of keeping you in hiding. The Holy Spirit brings up things and he's wooing you out into the light. And so the Lord brings up this old memory and I start doing that thing where I'm like, God, oh, that wasn't that big of a deal. It was a small thing. I know you forgave me. Your grace is sufficient. You know what I'm saying? All this. And so I'm there in this moment of prayer, hiding from God, even as I'm trying to bring him my heart in an unhidden way. I'm sure you've never done that, but I'm a mess, okay? And so that, that's what I was doing. And the Lord says, no, like, bring that to me. And so I, I start bringing that memory to him, just praying through it. God, would you forgive me? Of course I forgive you. So I think I'm done with it. Uh, last Sunday, I show up in this, in this space, and you know, five days after that happened, show up in this space, and my friend that I had sinned against when we were 11 walks into the room. Now, he lives in Nashville, and uh, I don't see him very often. I haven't seen him in months. So it was this weird kind of arresting moment. Like He walks in, and I'm like, oh, my goodness, this is so weird. And I immediately start doing that thing that we've all done before where I'm like, okay, God, thanks for, thanks for encouraging me by showing me that he's here and that we're cool by the, the grace of your forgiveness, you know. And immediately I start hiding. I knew what the Holy Spirit wanted me to do, but I didn't want to do it. And so do you know what I did? I hid. But I hid in front of all of you all. I stood up here and I preached a sermon. I think it was a pretty good sermon last week, you know. I stood up and I'm doing this like thing for you, for us, and I'm preaching. And the whole time I'm hiding behind the conversation I didn't want to have. I get done preaching, and we're having that prayer time together. Maybe you remember that. And as soon as you all start praying, the Holy Spirit just says to me, hey, Dave, I wasn't done talking to you. Your buddy's over there. And I'm like, okay, Lord. And so I went and grabbed Sydney, and she and I took communion together, and I kept hiding. And then I went over to the respond banner, and I started praying with other people. And the Holy Spirit just kept saying, Dave, come out hiding. So I went over, and I found my friend. I said, hey, this is what's going on. Would you forgive me for that? And man, he and I, just, just the grace of God flooded in. And you know what happens the moment we, we take those steps of obedience? Is all of a sudden the voice of God starts coming in more clearly. See, some of you, you're going, man, I can't hear God the way I used to hear him. Chances are, he's waiting for you to respond to the last thing he said to you. And you're like, God, I want a new word. I want a fresh revelation. He says, no, I want you to do something with what I said to you last. And if God's gone quiet on you, I'd encourage you to say, God, where am I still attempting to hide my heart from you? I do it all the time. I, I don't know where you've grown proficient in hiding. You know, for some of you, you're hiding addictions. You're hiding behaviors. You're, you're hiding choices. You're hiding motives. And maybe like me, you're hiding behind the fig leaves of religion. You've said, hey, I know there's a part of my heart that God wants to deal with. I don't want to go there, God, so this year I'm going to be more involved at Ethos than I've ever been. I'm not just going to go to a house church. I'm going to lead a house church, and it's not just going to be a great house church. It's going to be the greatest house church of all house churches. I'm not just going to serve. I'm going to serve on four uh, volunteer teams. I'm not just going to give. I'm going to give more than anybody else is giving. But here's what you've discovered, or you will soon discover, is that your external religious behaviors will never sufficiently heal the internal wounds that come when we hide from the things that God's asking us to deal with. The external religious stuff will never heal the internal religious wounds that God's inviting you to bring to them.
Some of you are hiding behind religion. Some of you are hiding behind busyness. You just go, man, if I slow down, God is going to do some work in my life. I don't want to slow down. I remember years ago, my dad needed a knee replacement. And he knew that he needed eight weeks to recover from that knee replacement. And so he decided, here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to keep my schedule so full that I won't have time to have that surgery. Uh, I just want to ask you a question. Did, did him ignoring what was going on in his body do anything to heal what was going on in his body? No. In fact, it made it worse. You hiding from what God is trying to uncover in your heart will not make the wound better. God only uncovers that which he wants to heal. For some of you, you're hiding behind religion. You're hiding behind busyness. You're hiding behind your rebellion. You're hiding behind your, your public displays of vulnerability. Like we live in a culture that values vulnerability. Have you ever done that thing before where you get on Instagram and you post a really vulnerable post? You know? and I haven't been on Instagram in months, so if some of you did this this morning, I'm not outing you, I promise. But you know that moment where you get on and it's like a picture of you, like no makeup on, the house is destroyed, and you're like, time to get real, folks, you know, and, and, uh, and, and, you, and, and you go on and, and, and you post this like really vulnerable thing, and, and then all of a sudden like a thousand of your friends comment on just how vulnerable and brave you are. Isn't it amazing? Because in your heart, it's different. Isn't it amazing that your public displays of vulnerability still don't deal with the reality that you are fearful of being vulnerable with God when you're all alone. And God's saying, come to me. Even now, declares the Lord, return to me. Open up your heart. Don't give me your religion. Because I'm slow to anger, compassionate, abounding in love. God says, come home. I'm better than you can possibly imagine. I told you this last week that the month of January is a month of preparation for us. Where we as a family, we are, we are preparing our hearts. We are humbling our hearts before the Lord because I believe God wants to do immeasurably more in your life and in our church in 2018 than we can ask or imagine. But here's what I'm convinced of is that God will not do it until we are willing to get real with him in regards to our hearts. And last week we talked about setting our hearts on seeking him. And today he's saying, do you have the courage to open up your heart to the one that's seeking you? And so in a few weeks, we're going to lean into this as a community. We're going to do just what they talked about in Joel chapter 2. Starting on January 28th, uh, that day we're going to have 24 hours of prayer together. Anybody in your church come and pray? We're going to ask God to just open up our church's heart to bring us out of hiding into his presence. We're going to get a 30-day journey of praying together, we've created this prayer guide that you can download, that you can print off, that you can pick up here to lead you through this time of prayer. Uh, we're going to have this prayer training. It's called the Freedom Prayer Training. We're going to spend 10 weeks training men and women in our church of how to pray in such a way that God invites us to deal with the parts of our hearts that we're trying to keep hidden from him so that revival can break out in you. Here's the deal. We all want revival out there, but so often revival starts in here. And until we open up our hearts, God can't do much in our city. We're going to take the month of February together, and we're going to fast. 
Some of you will fast for 30 days like you did last year. Some of you will fast one day a week. Some of you will fast from social media. Some of you will fast from food. Some of you have never fasted before. We've created all sorts of resources. I wrote a little ebook you can download on ethoschurch.org for free. It'll kind of give you a beginner's guide to fasting. We have an audio book that you can listen on the way to work. We have blogs that our friends and family have, have done. But what we're going to do is together, young and old, rich and poor, no matter where you are in life, we're going to come before the Lord for the month of February and say, God, open us up to what it is that you want to do inside of us. And it's going to be a rending of the heart, not just a tearing of the garment. But here's the reality. The culmination of what God wants to do in our community in the month of February is directly connected to what it is that you are willing to give him in January. And that God cannot open up our church if we as individuals are sitting in this place closed off to what he's trying to do. And so I want to invite you today as we look towards what God is going to do over the next month, this opening up of the heart, this invitation into closeness with Jesus, I want to invite you today, every one of you, to take just one simple step right, right now today, whether you're, you're a follower of Jesus or not. Cole, would, uh, you put this prayer on the screen. Um, here for the next 10 minutes or so, we're just going to have some music playing. And uh, at first, it's just going to be some music, and then Will's going to come up, and he's going to sing a song over us. I, I don't want you to stand. I don't want you to sing. I, don't, I just want you to absorb the words. And as, as you sit in your seats, get out your journals if you have them or your phone, something to take note of, I want to invite you to just be courageous enough to pray this prayer that's on the screen. You can pray it in your own words, but to, to just simply say, Father God, would you help me to see where I'm still trying to hide my heart from you? Would you help me to see? And to just pay attention to what the Holy Spirit is going to do in your heart. You have eight or ten minutes to just sit in his presence. Then we're going to take communion together. We have men and women that want to pray over you. We had all sorts of amazing things happening at the nine o'clock this morning. But it won't happen for those of you that are too scared to let God all the way into the heart. I just want to invite you, uh, close your eyes right now. I want to pray over you. And uh, we're going to take the next ten minutes or so to just Open our hearts to what the Holy Spirit's trying to say to us. And then we have some time to, to respond together in prayer and in communion and worship. God, I love you, and I, I, love, I love that your love for us is so much stronger than our rebellion towards you. And God, this morning, like children laying on the couch, bloodied, and battered, would you wrap your arms around every person in this room and may they hear your voice. May they hear the tender voice of their father that says, I love you, come, come to me, come to me. God, would you reveal to us the, the places in our heart that we're working so hard to keep hidden from you. God, in the name of Jesus, would you bind the voice of the enemy that is trying to convince us to keep those things hidden. And then God, would you show us what to do just show us how to release those things into your hands, into your presence. God, you never uncover that which you don't want to heal. God, would you bring healing even this morning as we give our hearts to you in this way. Uh, God, speak to us individually and minister to us as a community. Help us to care for one another with love and with grace and with respect and with dignity and maturity. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.
next 10 minutes or so is yours. I want to just invite you. Close your eyes in the presence of the Lord and, uh, and receive. Pray this prayer over you. Receive what God wants to do in you. And then I'll give you some instructions. I love you so much.